focused on art, activism, and our thoughts on living a good life. I'm Chris Racanello, and I'm the co-director of Field Projects, along with Jacob Rhodes. This is our third episode of the podcast, and I'm already completely changing the structure, but only for this one special episode. That's because we wanted to cover the Bands Off Our Bodies march that happened today, Saturday, May 14th, so you're hearing this a few days later on Wednesday. Today on the pod, you'll hear me talking to people about abortion and abortion rights at the rally. I went alone, which was actually a pretty great choice, mostly because I met and made new friends and I felt this real solidarity with a lot of strangers in my community. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. And after talking to people about their thoughts on abortion rights, we dive into an interview with the amazing artist Chiara No. Then we will wrap things up at the end with some Field Projects news and shows to go see, and also things to go do. The rally was organized in large part by Planned Parenthood of Greater New York, and as a person who, as you'll find out in this episode, has always struggled with gender, I really avoided the gynecologist and healthcare services generally for most of my adult life. So. My experience when I finally went to the Brooklyn Planned Parenthood was transformational. The work that those healthcare workers are doing is obviously life-saving. At the end today, I'll have a list of places to donate to and to volunteer, and you can also check the show notes below. Okay, so here's the protest today. You'll hear the speeches at Cadman Plaza first, and then we'll dive into speaking with people who showed up for this rally.
conservative evangelical Christian and I would have considered myself pro-life um, until around college. I don't really remember why I changed my mind other than just life than fucking life and just thinking about how women are treated in this country and how we seem to be given such little control and every opportunity is taken to try to take our control and our autonomy away from us. I thought of every possible scenario in which I could see myself being pregnant or getting myself in a situation and every single time 
I was led to, I would want the choice to decide what to do yeah. about that situation. Yeah. And it's really as simple as that. Having that fucking choice to do whatever you want with your body. And that's that's why, that. Yeah. And Women that's are humans, here. living, breathing humans with thoughts and feelings and deserve to be not seen as second class Absolutely. citizens. Yes! Yes to all of that. Thank you yes. for sharing that. Thank you. Hey, do you want to share why you're here? Sure. Um, it's annoying that the government is trying to control women's bodies or anyone with the uterus. It's, I find it very infantilizing that people are not trusted to make their own medical decisions. That's the gist of it. it nope, I completely like, agree. It is fucking infantilizing. It feels like I'm awful. being treated like a kid. Yes. Yes. Not even a kid. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I wonder if. All right, your other friends are back further. I'm just gonna ask a random person. Excuse me, would you like to share any reasons that you came today? <laughs> I came today because I'm human. Yes, that's the best answer. The rights of all humans. So that's why I'm here today. Thank you. You got it. That is a great, short, succinct answer and true. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Cool, thank you. Like, I, I'm gay, obviously. There's a very slim chance of this affecting me directly, but, like, it's a basic right all women should have regardless. Yes. And, like, I have a little sister. Like, I, I know other women. Like, everyone should have access to free legal abortion. Um, but it also, the climate of this leak yes. leads to other issues. Yeah interracial marriage, which my fiance and I would qualify, gay marriage, which me and my fiance would qualify for. I, like we're getting married next year. If this shit happens, what's gonna, ha are we even yeah. gonna be able to get married next yeah. year? Um, luckily we're in New York state, but I'm from Texas. Texas is a horrible yeah. state for, for human rights and women's rights. I've said to so many people I've met recently who yeah. are from Texas, I've said, oh, how are you doing? <laughs> and uh, it's weird when the response is, what do you mean? I don't think they get it because like yeah. all my family is still in Texas. Yeah. And I mentioned it to my mother, like Texas is probably one of the worst states to live in from, and she doesn't get it. She's like, why? Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's absolutely yeah. the attitude that I've encountered. Yeah. And, and it's sad because yeah. I think people are in denial, right? Yeah. Like people are just kind of in denial about what's ignorant. happening. Yeah. Like they, they're not abreast of like the political situation yeah. right now. If it doesn't affect them directly, yeah. it's, it's not something that they really are invested in. Right. And they're not thinking about, you know, their children or friends or like people who exactly. feel like it doesn't affect them, who feel that they don't have to say anything about it or they don't know enough about it or whatever. Like, it's ridiculous. Everyone knows Justice Alito has a wife and kids. Yeah. Like, how, how do you make that judgment while knowing the experiences of yeah. your children, your wife going through labor? Like, it's just exactly. really... Um, out of touch, purposefully, intentionally out of touch. Exactly. Sorry to take over your... No, no, it, it's it's all interconnected. And no matter where you're from, no matter if you're a man, like, there should be just as many men here as women. Um, and there's not. And there's not, yeah. It's just, I mean, there are men here. They're Cameron and... You're gross. 
This is a friend of ours. She has a podcast. Hey, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you. I wanted to ask if anybody here wanted to share why they've come today. And I also realized I haven't talked to any men at all. (laughs) (laughs) I felt that I should ask someone, and they were like, hello, there's one behind you. (laughs) I I identify as man. Not to be like, token man, please speak. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah, uh, I'm here today because abortion is a right and it's something that members of my family have gone through and going and helping specifically my sister go through that experience which is horrible just to have to yeah as a human to go through yeah. jumping through the hoops as she did it in Louisiana oh, in the south yeah. was really difficult for her while she's in college yeah. this hits very much home yeah. and I really want to be there for everyone I can't, and I'm glad she had me as a resource, but a lot of people don't. Yeah. So. No, I know. I think that is one of the increasingly difficult things as abortion becomes more and more inaccessible in many states throughout our country, right? Is yeah. that there's less and less support, less and less people willing to support because of the real fear of jail, Yeah. right? Of prison, I should say. Yeah. You know, and it's like very scary. But I'm glad that you're here. And thanks for sharing. Also, Thank you. Yeah. Would, would any of you like to yeah. share, too, why you're here or your thoughts on abortion yeah. rights? I, I'm here because this is an incredibly sensitive and personal matter for every individual who is faced with this decision to choose. And it is it is not up to any kind of government agency or any kind of religious agency, especially in this country, that that, that, that should be determined for someone else. It's unacceptable. I think one of the other reasons I'm here is I'm concerned as to how this might unravel other rights and liberties that we have grown relatively comfortable with at this juncture, and I'm really concerned about that. So we got to be vocal, we got to be present, and uh, we're really excited to be here in March today. Great, thank you. And we are vocal and present. We're yes, here. absolutely. Hell yeah, we are. <laughs> cool. Thank you thank for doing you. what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, and Grace. Nice yeah, and, Grace. and you can yeah, as you like. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, I'm Emily, and I'm here because I think we owe it to the women who fought really hard and died for this right, and to have it taken away, and to have us be in a worse position than our mothers and grandmothers. Um, I, I think we just owe it to them to, to be here and to march. That's awesome. And that is such a great answer, and it feels like you wrote it down beforehand, but oh. I know you didn't. <laughs> She's just annoyingly uh, articulate. I'm a lawyer, so I'm really good at being like a... Uh, So that's a great point. Thank you. I was was alive when we didn't have abortion rights, and one of my best friends had to get a back back alley abortion. It was very traumatic for her, and uh, that was her second attempt. The first time, they were all busted while she was in the waiting room trying to get this abortion. 17 years old and five months pregnant and it's a complete disaster so i have two daughters 28 and 30 and they're marching in different cities i just feel so strongly about it we're losing our rights the war against women is progressing it is we have to be out here marching all of us yes i'm the same age as your daughters oh wow 29 god bless you well i hope that you you. keep your rights that's what we're marching for i do too i hope we all keep our rights so do i Thank you. Lily, thank you for sharing that.
Thanks for leading that. <laughs> Crush it. Crush it. So you have a megaphone, and I'm asking people why they're here today, if they have anything they want to say. Do you want to participate? Oh, sure. Um, well, I'm a teenager. I don't want my children to have to march and have to fight for this. I think it's a fundamental right, and I'm so upset that my generation still has to be fighting for this. So I think it's so important that we protect women's fundamental rights. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. You're great. Hey, I had a question. Yeah. I saw you with the megaphone. Yes. Um, are you with the organizers? Yes. I you am. are. Cool. I would love to hear your thoughts if you want to share them. Because I believe that this is about bodily autonomy. I believe that abortion rights, it kind of connects all of our struggles, you yeah. know? So who are the people that are going to be most impacted by yeah. these bans? Brown, <laughs> black and brown people, low-income people, yes. and that's what you know. What I'm saying queer people like this is this is why we're here, and yes. this is a point for all of our struggles to be connected. Because we, if we are not all free, that's like that's what we're working for, you know. So I'm here for my daughter. I'm here for myself. I'm here for the generations of folks that had to choose. I'm here for the reality that this is abortions have been happening since the beginning of time and yes. so it's just like that is never people are going to keep having abortions you know and so but they're just going to be harder to access and more dangerous oh yeah oh yeah I mean, absolutely yeah i mean and then there's also a part of going back to our just like indigenous knowledge right yes. and so it's like this is that moment and like we do it in community um and so that's why i'm here it's a really important topic honestly it's kind of crazy that they're even considering getting rid of Roe v. Wade. It's fucking crazy. I don't understand. I mean, they're not doing it for the people. No. The people have shown they don't want it. They're not doing it for their families, you know, their mothers that brought them here. I mean, if you think about it, the people that are in Supreme Court, that are in Congress, their parents were probably walking and marching for women's rights back then. And now we're full circle and here we are once again. I completely agree. Thank you. Yes. You know, Justice Alito has a wife. How does he even... Who has birthed children? Exactly. How could you not understand? You're not doing it for your family. Yeah. You're not doing it for the people. They're selfish. They're doing it for these old idealistic ideas that should no longer exist. So I'm here because as a black queer femme, I just can't allow the state to have a say over what happens to my body. Yeah. We've seen what that's looked like throughout history. Yes. And if I have any say in it, it's not happening. I'm here with my sister-in-law and my niece. Great. Yes. Yeah. And we feel very strongly that this is freaking ridiculous. You know, Roe versus Wade, it was made legalized once and now here we are again. Uh, my name is Dawn Day and I'm from New Jersey. and. I, it's very simple. I, I think uh, abortion is a woman's right to choose or not choose. And I think it's totally arrogant for these old white men to start telling women of all colors what on earth they should do with it yes. if they're pregnant. Yes. I think it's just total arrogance. Um, I'm here today because um, I'm just an astonishment of what happened, uh, SCOTUS, and um, my grandmother marched in 1970 for women's rights and for reproductive rights, and she's passed away, but I can't even imagine what she would say down to see me 
fighting for the same rights, and this is not about pro-life, this is about racism, power, and sexism, and it yes. needs to end. Sure. I'm here to preserve the rights that started when I was a kid, when abortion was illegal. I've been protesting ever since the Roe versus Wade was first threatened to be overturned in the, in the 90s. And I'm here with my daughter now. We're protecting her rights. We're protecting the rights of all people with uteruses. And uh, abortion is health care. And that's all there is to it. Awesome. Cher, would you like to go first? I'll go first. OK. Hi, um, Cher. I'm Chris. Hi, Chris. I'm Cher. The reason I'm here is because I've worked for women's rights in the feminist movement in the 70s and the 80s. And I worked for getting Roe versus, you know, Wade, keeping yeah. it there. We've had other times where it was going to go away. And really, this says it all. Six weeks right after Roe versus Wade, in between there, I was raped by two strangers. Thank God I had my therapeutic abortion, because it wasn't just for my body. It was, it was for, for my mind. mind. But I had to do a lot. And I have daughters, granddaughters, friends. I'm for sisterhood. It terrifies me to think that yes. this could go away. And I'm here for me, for all humankind. Yeah, I mean, I'm really just here to support women of any, from any place, from any part of the country, part of the world. And I just think it's sickening the hypocrisy of men, and I'm really over it. Yes. So, <laughs> and that's just honestly it. Yes. Fuck the patriarchy. I am here because I didn't, I took for granted yeah. Roe v. Wade growing up. I'm a 40-year-old woman and I can't believe that this is happening now. I'm here with my kids and my buddy and friend and husband and we're all here because we don't want to go back. Well, I am here because my husband has a community paper. We own a community paper. Really? So yeah. I have to report this for our constituents. Um, I'm not being forced to, I want to. Yes. Because this story needs to be told honestly. It does. Yes. Yes. And the most honest part about it, or being honest, is our minds and what we're thinking. And we can't have anyone controlling our minds, our bodies, and our worlds. I agree. It's called Our Time Press. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd like to share. I'm an emergency physician. Wow. And I provide health care. Wow. And abortion care is definitely health care. And I've seen women bleed to death, and it's, it's not a pretty sight. And nothing, no one belongs in the conversation between any patient, but especially a female patient and their doctor. I feel very strongly about that. I give my patients all the options available to them when they're confronted with a problem. Yes. But my job is to do what is in the best interest of the patient that's in front of me. And I feel very strongly about that. <laughs> and I have two daughters, one who's here with me, um, and, and a son. And I, they should all have the ability to control their own bodies yes. and make their own health choices. Yes. Thank you for your service, too. As Thank a healthcare you. worker, this has been a really difficult... It's been a tough time. I'm sure, yes. Um, but yes. it feels like the time to solidify Roe v. Wade, yes. not the time to take it away. It, yes, we need yeah. to codify it into law, national law, yes. not taking rights away. It's a sad 
sad six years. <laughs> Washington and uh, all those years yeah. ago. <laughs> it feels like many, many years ago. It feels like many, many years ago. That was uh, also a very dark period. <laughs> I was hoping we were coming out of that too. I, I pretty much second everything that my mom said. I think, you know, the crux of this is just control and there's obviously a really, really long history of men and just other people in positions of power trying to control women and they'll you know use anything as a scapegoat whether that's protecting life or anything else but at the end of the day it's about control and i think we're all trying to take that control back So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to all of the important thoughts of people who are at the rally. These are conversations that happened on the fly. These are thoughts as we were just walking, as I walked up to people and spoke to them. And I think it is extraordinarily important to capture this moment in time. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen next. I'm recording this now on Sunday and I don't know what's going to happen in the next few days. So as we transition now into speaking with the artist Chiara No. I chose to speak with Chiara today because I needed to feel comfortable and safe. And if I can just be honest with all of you, the last few weeks I've just felt pretty awful. I'm sure many of you have too. So it's important to embrace your friends and embrace the people who care about you, who you've worked with, who you feel safe with right now, but also not to be afraid to go out and speak to random people at rallies and events for things that you care about, whether that's going to plays or that's going to art openings or that's going to marches you can find those kind of spaces where you can find like-minded people to feel safe around and to talk to about the issues that are affecting you right now. So I'm really excited to be delivering this interview with Chiara No to you today. Uh, Chiara is an artist who's been working for over a decade. She's shown in Exile in Berlin, uh, Bible in New York City, and Vox Populi in Philadelphia. She's also shown at the Institute of American Art in Portland, Transmodern and Current Space in Baltimore, and her work has been featured on thesluttist.com and Baltimore's City Paper. Cassandra Press published her screenplay, Mother 6000, which is M-U slash T-H slash U-R 6000. This is currently sold at Printed Matter in New York City. Her work is in the collection of the Whitney's Special Collection and also of the Chicago Institute of Art at the Joan Flash Artists Book Library. Cherno received her MFA at the University of Pennsylvania, which you will hear me fuck up in our interview in 2015. Uh, she has been on faculty at SAIC and the University of Pennsylvania. And unfortunately, Chiara no longer lives in New York City, close to me, but she does live in Vermont and comes down to New York quite frequently. So here's my conversation with Chiara No. We talk about everything from her work to music and metal and punk and the toxic masculinity that really attracted both of us to the hardcore scene as kids. We talk about gender identity and we also obviously talk about abortion and abortion rights. 
Okay, here's our interview with Chiarano. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Hello. How's it going? Oh, it's, I mean, it's going fine. The main thing that I really saw that made me reach out to you was like a super impulsive thing. I opened Instagram in the morning. I was feeling really upset. And I felt like your post as Tipper Gore just cracked me. Uh, like I felt this kind of like visceral response to it. Yeah. And I just immediately reached out to talk to you. And I think that's the really effective thing about that one element of your practice. Um, it does that to people. Like, you might not... I'm sure you know that people have told you that. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, it it is really effective. And some of the things you're doing are so simple but so bold. I wanted to start out asking you about how you developed that practice and also about the kind of differences between you know, social media and art practice, activism, like all of that swirling world, you know? How did you start out doing the kind of work? Um, Tipper, like I think when I started Tipper Gore, my Instagram account was actually Black Chia. Yeah. Um, because I thought that, that would be like my metal band name if I ever had one. And I changed it immediately to Tipper Gore, maybe like after my second, like Tipper Gore post, because I call them Tipper Gore posts as well. Yeah. And it's directly referencing Parental Advisory Commission in the 80s about metal and rap music. Um, it's, I kind of thought that that would be a fitting name for this project. But the whole Tipper Gore project really started as like a little bit flippant, a little bit like non-committal, like a, a non-committal angry post. Um, but also it like, mm -hmm. it was like, I guess something like, tell the story really quickly but like it was like me and girlfriends drunk at a bar um in Chicago when I was living there in uh 2016 I think and um I remember saying like you know I was like fucking subversive and no one ever talked about it um and I don't even know if people talked about it to this day to be honest but it's like in 2007 when all the starlets started flashing their crotch paparazzi yeah Anne Hathaway Paris Hilton yeah. Lindsay Lohan Nicole Richie Kim Kardashian all of them and that was like the moment where the paparazzi was fucking out of control um like invading these women's lives like, these women were like I'm not gonna wear underwear I'm gonna get out of cars totally spread eagle and I'm gonna show you my crotch and I want you to take that picture because I dare you I dare you to photograph it and the fucked up thing is they did they just blurred it out and then they called these women like whores and I never thought of that way I just thought it was like they were desperate they were desperate not to be photographed and so they were like almost like collectively where they're like and I don't think they talked to each other really about it it was just like one person did it I don't know who the first one was and then they all started doing it yeah um, I, and they kind of all stopped because it didn't work well um, it's funny because it if, I think if it was a kind of collective movement where they made a decision, we would know about it now. Exactly. It's more, it's almost more interesting that it was this visceral bodily rebellious response um, mm -hmm. to the kind of horrifying patriarchal paparazzi, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like, so I think my first post was like kind of referencing that. 
Um, like, I just, like, I was like, see, no one's going to care. And I want to say it was, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. I took a picture of my crotch and just posted it. It was blurry and made no sense whatsoever, um, except for, like, my drunken post. But, like, the next day I thought about it. And, like, people really commented on it. Like, people were just, like, kind of how you were saying, like, I don't, I know why I did it. It was, like, a, a flippant idea. But then people were, like, whoa, like, that's like that was really intense what you did like I was just flipping through Instagram and then like there's your crush I mean it was underwear and everything but it was just like it wasn't stylized because this is also like the height of like Kim Kardashian coming out with her selfie book like two years earlier and everyone's still talking about selfie as like the new self-portrait yeah like the mechanical self-portrait I mean Jerry Saltz wrote an article about it like the year before about the new self-portrait um and so it was like I thought I started thinking a lot about that like it's like well if society obviously it was the election year like it was Trump and Hillary pretty much right there and I was like wow it just seems like everyone wants to reduce like all women down to like their reproduction yeah parts yeah yeah Um, and it wasn't like a pretty vagina picture and it wasn't painted by a man it was like a self-portrait that you're intentionally taking that uh is about the power of your body Um, And it's so, I mean, just even like the compositions that you've chosen are so simple. And Mm -hmm. like, really, you can see that you're the one who's like timing the camera, taking that photo, like, obviously not all of them, but like the one that you, a lot of times your protest, it's developed into this writing on your legs work too. And that like V shape behind you right now, you have a V shape that's like mimicking the legs (laughs) up, like vaginal shot that you're talking about. Um, And obviously, like, other work that you've done is really, really related to that, like the crowning project or, like, this kind of focus on genitalia and the power and, like, fear around specifically the vagina, right? Yeah. Sorry, I feel like I just derailed you from where you were going. No, no. (laughs) But it kind of, like, what I, the one thing I really loved about Tipper Gore it's like my vagina became the canvas for all sorts of ideas. I mean, like the work that I'm making right now, my rugs and everything really developed out of like, I started reading like nihilistic philosophy on about the environment. And I was just kind of like, it just kind of like turned into this blank canvas of me exploring everything from like those ideas, like very like typical feminist ideas. Like abortion is definitely like a theme, uh, like abortion is sex work. It was definitely like a theme that I would visit, probably the most common. But I also was making that work when I didn't, like, I just got done with grad school and I couldn't afford a studio and I just had all this energy. Um, I had no money to make anything. And I was kind of like, cool, but I have my phone. I have my phone. I can make something. I'm reading a lot. Yeah. Um, and and when you were in grad school, you went to grad school in Chicago, right? No, I went to UPenn in Philadelphia. Oh, fuck. Why did I think Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> well, I said Chicago, and, like, because I moved back to Chicago. That's right. Um, Sorry. After grad school. I mean, it's, I mean, funny enough, actually, let's back it up even more. I think I got comfortable with posting um, my my lower half of my body because I didn't really fully commit to, like, the spread eagle at this point. But I got really interested through crowning. There's studies that, like, some women, like, a super dose of testosterone during the pushing process. Hmm. And I kind of really loved, like, I was thinking a lot about estrogen. I just read, like, um, Paul Pietras Perdido's. Yeah like typical book like testo junkie like I just finished reading that and I was just totally like blown away about the history of testosterone like I think I just finished like the the birth of the pill book and so that was like how estrogen was like 
unethically co-opted from people and how the pill was made yeah um, and how it's the and then like I, I jumped right into like Paul Peters Perdido's Tessa Junkie which has that same thing just from like the testosterone side I think it's important to say that like the book was written before they transitioned mm-hmm. um and actually like the book is about I'm gonna I'm gonna use their female name because I think it's actually important and I apologize if this offends anyone, but for me to tell the story, I think. uh, Well, because they they also tell it themselves, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they wrote it as like longing for their best friend who is trans. And when that person passed away, um, they had all their testosterone. And to feel close to this person, they started taking testosterone. Um, And not to transition, but just like to feel that closeness and like, they talked about this word gender pirate. Like she's like, I felt like I was like a gender pirate. Like I wasn't like transitioning. I just like was addicted to testosterone. That story, like her approaching testosterone as a lesbian and also diving deep into like the pharmaceutical company, the history of how testosterone was born. Like she did a beautiful job of weaving their story layered on top of the pharmaceuticals um, and the sexual pseudo aspects of it like um like I do believe that they in thinking about it now I didn't think about it then but like I think in like the book like they wanted the transition but they weren't Mm -hmm. there yet Mm -hmm. like maybe intellectually but I feel like by the end of their book I mean I do recall like a year later they started identifying as Paul um and I was like oh yeah no absolutely like (laughs) that book was really intense and that book like you taking testosterone opened up the side of you that you actually like realized you really liked. You're like, Oh wow. I'm experiencing that feel more real. That feels like actually what I want to be. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was interesting that their story came from like, just like missing a friend and taking their drugs. Um, and it kind of opened up this whole world, um, that felt more real and true to who they probably always were, but like through society, through culture, through parents or whatever, just never like denied it or just never thought about it because of the um the biases that we don't know we have inside ourselves but yeah it's a great book I wonder if it like in a lot of ways I wonder if it holds up because I feel like even though it was only written like 10 years ago it does feel like a book of absolutely like that time yeah so much has Um, happened in 10 years exactly like with uh trans right like even the language they use in that book but like I said I haven't opened it I also don't have any desire to open it to other, so many other books that are on my reading list. Yeah, yeah. Any book is that's written is, like, really in its time. Like, even books that are, whatever, written by historians, right? It's still bringing in so much of exactly what's happening at that particular moment in time. Language around trans identity is shifting really rapidly. Yeah. Um, and... I think I'm really happy that we started out talking about this because I feel like this is such a critical issue with everything that's happening with Roe v. Wade. And Mm -hmm. even if the Supreme Court doesn't completely invalidate Roe v. Wade, right? Trans identity to be Mm -hmm. cared for right now at this moment. And I feel like it's terrifying to everyone, (laughs) right? The idea that, okay, now all of a sudden bodily autonomy is going to be just completely taken away. I mean, even before this bullshit came out about the draft um, opinion by the Mm -hmm. Supreme Court, we had so much bullshit. I mean, just think of like anything that's happening in Florida at the moment with Ron DeSantis, right? Crying is welcome on this podcast. (laughs) 
Yeah. I have really closed those valves, but crying may happen still. I don't know. You know, like I do think also thinking about this moment of testosterone release and all of the like bullshit around gender construction. Mm -hmm. It's not just in the crowning project. It's kind of been carried forward into all of the rest of your work. I mean, I mean that in the way of like how you think about gender identity and the ways that you're kind of using even the Mm -hmm. rugs and the mythologies that you're creating, resuscitating and reviving and like kind of giving a new life. And I was just hoping maybe we could talk a little bit more, return to the crowning project. Thank you for talking more about the book with us. Even though it's an old book, it is really great. It was one of the things that I read and, you know, like when I... I'm going to admit a deeply personal thing on the podcast. But, you know, when I was in kindergarten, I started telling everyone I wasn't a girl and um, or that I didn't want to be a girl. And I was like totally ostracized by all of the kids and no one has ever taken it seriously still. (laughs) So it's just like one of those really painful and narratives like that have been kind of eye opening for me as an adult. Uh, to be able to read and just feel like other people feel like gender pirates, right? You know, and I still have not completely worked out my feelings about my own gender identity. But I do, I am like very they, she oriented because I don't feel like a man. But I also certainly don't feel like a woman either. You know, we could talk about like whatever, the way that capitalism pigeonholes you into having to have a certain gender identity that you have to. I mean, even just fucking the surveys that the United States puts out. Are you male or female? Like on every single thing that you have to fill in for the government. Anyways, sorry. Let's go back to your work. It's all good. I mean, to kind of pigeon tail a little bit on your uh, kindergarten story, it's like I've I've never had that feeling of being another gender. But I do recall in high school, like especially when I got really into like the hardcore scene, like specifically yeah. like the straight edge straight edge hardcore scene of DC, I felt like being a female was like a disservice. Like I like I felt like I didn't fit in because I was female. And I do like remember going through like a five year phase of like wearing baggy baggy clothes. I would take a, a ace bandage and I would wear like a sports bra and then like ace bandage and just like try to make my hips and butt like as small yeah. as possible and like flat because I have a, even though I have narrow hips, I definitely have like a butt that sticks out. And I remember like, like strapping down my butt, like wearing Spanx to keep everything. And I was already like the tiniest, like skinniest kid ever, but I was like, I wanted no curves. I mean, I was like, in a way, like presenting my body as a boy, like even though I still have long hair, like I didn't identify as a boy. It's like, I wanted the men to respect me. And if they saw me as a sexual object first, they wouldn't respect me. Yeah, I totally, I have a very similar experience. And I feel like I really like a lot of my early fuck you-ness and, and then later fuck you-ness came out of, I was constantly putting myself into misogynistic spaces. Absolutely. Um, And I was very attracted to that. I was very, like, very much in also hardcore, like, very into metal. And I loved, oh, God, I still love going to shows. They are, and it shocks me every time. I mean, granted, I haven't, I mean, since I've been to Vermont, I haven't been to a metal show since. But, like, I remember... Yeah. Like recently, I want to say like even as late as maybe 2018, 19, like when I was living in New York City going to St. Vitus and I went by myself and I actually can't remember who was playing. I remember, and this wasn't the first time it happened, but I also don't want to paint that it happened a lot. 
at St. Vitus, but like men would come up to me and be like, oh, so you, so you like this band? And they would instantly yeah. ask like, where's my boyfriend? Or like, oh, are you here with someone? Yeah. And like, they wouldn't say like boyfriend, but they would, I feel like they were like, oh, here, I'm like here by myself. Whoa, a girl's here by herself. I'm like, yeah, like <laughs> there are yeah. women who don't need the validation of a boy, a man to like come to a show. And uh, obviously we can talk about like queer core from the nineties there were still really not that many bands. Like I feel like, like gloss. I mean, there's a lot more. I'm actually so out of the music scene that there's probably a billion. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, I feel like, like, especially when I was living in Philadelphia in like between 13 and 15 for grad school, I was going to a lot of shows and I was just like, whoa, in comparison to Chicago, like there's so many queer, totally like hardcore bands. Yes. I'm like, this is really awesome. And I almost feel like the hardcore scene is people's like entrance into the metal scene and so like I would like to think that like how you were saying it's like oh yeah I'm seeing these like femme bodies on these scenes like now they're being more confident to enter their scenes but that leads into crowning it's like yeah I think a lot of things are different now but like I remember in 13 when I was going to grad school I think like my second meeting my professor um Oricon was like art can change people's minds like what are you trying to change in this world and I was just kind of like I don't know like I'm just like constantly wondering why there isn't like a feminist metal scene the way that there was like Riot Girl or like a strong yeah. contingent of women in the blues scene, in the jazz scene, like there's like in the rock scene, like there's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I so remember many- the concert like Homocore, but I, I can't think of anything that's really truly. Or it's not that I can't think of anything, but it's mm-hmm. such a minority, right? It's such a, yeah, it's so yeah. small. So, of course, like, there's Mortals, which was, like, a all-female all metal band that, like, made a, they aroused from yeah. New York um, that were great. Um, there was Pink Mass, which, actually, yeah. I think that they would kind of love them, and their their music was just all about, you know, it was queer metal. But, yeah. like, if you ask me, I should preference, is like, I really don't listen to much metal or I don't go deep into metal anymore. Like, I, yeah. I have my bands now. But in 13 and 15, like, in grad school, I was, like, mounting the research, being, like, where are these bands? Like, I can find little pockets, but there isn't that Riot girl movement happening. If it did, I would have heard about it already. Yeah. Like, even though, like, I'm so removed from metal scene, I feel like I would hear about it. But that, that gives me hope that, like, I mean, I'm still hopeful that will happen. Maybe I took it, like, deadpan seriously. Um <laughs> was like really the best way like I approached it like there was like no humor there was no satire or parody I was like genuinely like if a feminist metal band existed and it it took um one of my friends giving birth to her first child and saying to me the next day let me preference the story she she definitely had like the earth mother this is going to be a magical moment I'm going to be an ecstasy (laughs) type of pregnancy yeah um and it, it wasn't like she actually had like such a traumatic present pregnancy. It took her another seven years to have another kid. And it's like, she'll say like, she's like, no, like that was the scariest thing I've ever went through. I mean, she had like a 48 hour labor. She said that there was so much blood coming out of her body that like, she couldn't like conceptualize yeah. how she's still alive with all the blood. And like the way she was telling me the story and like, I mean, we were that close of friends. I mean, we we're so close friends, but we were that close that, like, when she called me, she could just tell me all, like, the nasty details of it. And, like, as she's crying and she's, like, trying to, like, wrap her head about what happened. And I just remember being like, holy shit, men can't own that. Yeah. Like, men can't take away, like, they can't experience pregnancy and birth. 
Yeah. Which is funny about the abortion stuff that's happening. Yeah, um, so they're still trying to control it. Um, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, you know, that's what my feminist metal band is going to be about. It's going to be like this. I wanted a little bit of nihilism in it because that's just how I roll. And I felt like all metal has to have a little bit of that, like, uh, apathy. Mm-hmm. It's it. there at the but core. Was, yeah. Yeah. Like to make it like true, true, like black metal. Um, but I wanted to approach everything as like a woman giving birth, a woman crowning. At the time, I was super into Google image search. I mean, I guess I still am, but like this was like my discovery of like really exploiting Google image um, search to find funny moments. Um, And I remember like whenever I thought of a band name at this moment, I would Google it and just see what images came up. And when I did crowning on the first page, yes, it was mostly women crowning, but it was also like two images of like Jesus being crowned with like thorns. I know. And there was shit, like a, a like a, a funny meme of like poop um, and crowning. And I was just like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> I'm like, this is where the metal is. I nailed it's it. Crass. Yeah, it's crass. There's religion and there's blood. Like, yep. nailed it. I wish, I mean, not a wish. I think I, if I go through my sketchbooks, I have the list of all my, my names I went through. Like, I don't know. I like yeah. all these words. No, no, I love I mean, lists. If we could have had your show be the title, be the lists, that would have yeah. been great. <laughs> well, no, absolutely. I actually, like, I remember when we were talking about that Spring Break show and, like, the list. Yeah. I've really been, like, trying to actually, like, collect all my lists of words. Because I was just like, you know, I, like, when I feel like I have enough words, I'm going to make a book. I'm going to make, a, like, an artist book mm-hmm. of just, like, my lists. Um, yeah, I mean, they're sort of poetry but they're also just ritual lists of like incantation words or something like they're so they're really like moving reading the lists um Mm -hmm. and they're totally worthy of an artist book so please do that language has always been my entry point into work yeah Um, oh maybe we should stop and just say uh we've worked on three shows together so you showed once at my house I had an mm-hmm. apartment gallery called White Couch, which during the pandemic just collapsed in on itself and died. And then, and that was called Her Tongue with a slash yeah. in between. Yeah, Her Slash Tongue. Yeah, and I think we made a pretty great list of names for that too, and somehow we mm-hmm. ended up with that. Yeah. And then we also did A Gate, A Veil, A Vessel, which was a three-person show at Field Projects, which was with um, Jacqueline Marie Shannon and Crystal DeFranzo. And it was the first time, well... We've been showing the rugs in really all of those shows. Um, so yeah. I haven't shown like the work on crowning that we've been talking about. And then you've kind of had a new development with the rugs where you're making these mm-hmm. awesome bells and yeah. mirrors now. Um, but we showed bells and rugs and carpet beater sigils at spring break this year. Yeah. Well, I guess technically last year in 2021, yeah. but yeah, it's been great to develop that. And kind of, like, we've been working through the rugs on these shows. Absolutely. And, like, when we started this conversation, there was, like, there was, like, how you're saying, like, oh, like, you seem the right person to talk about abortion with because of, like, the vulnerability. I think that we've experienced with each other. And I think, like, when you asked me, I was just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, like, the the expert on abortion by any stretch of the imagination. But then there was, like, a moment where I was like, well, of course I would have this conversation with Chris because she's, like, helped me through, especially, like, artistic language 
Mm -hmm. like just with like ideas I have like I knew that I could always bounce ideas off of you you would take them seriously with me until maybe I stopped taking them seriously I'm like god that's actually a stupid idea but like you would like (laughs) you would like you're like one of my people who I can go to be like hey like have you like I think I definitely do this I'm like have you read this book I'm like is this book worth reading (laughs) I'm going through a phase right now where I'm reading a lot of primary sources which can be really boring yes Um, because it's like a different style of writing from like 50, 80 years ago, which is like really heavy on just information that's not like like written as like a story. Like that's, it's not Timothy Morton. It's not like Donna Haraway, which like they weave stories through like their, mm-hmm. all their information. Like I love reading primary sources, but it's because I'm a medievalist and that shit mm-hmm. is just wild. Yeah. You go that far back and it's just like a different world. And so it mm-hmm. feels really enjoyable to me to read because of the alienation, but then insight that I'm getting. Yeah. Whereas when, when I read something like from the 20s to 40s to 50s, I feel angry at it a lot mm-hmm. of times. I feel angry at it. I feel angry at it for writing stylistic reasons, but then I also feel angry at it for like, you're so close. Like you're so close to my time period and I'm so used to reading either really far back or really contemporary um, yeah. that I find myself getting just like infuriated either because of the dryness, because there's a lot of really yeah. dry texts <laughs> from mm-hmm. then, but then also because, you know, like even texts from the eighties, Jesus Christ. The 80s is like, it's like funny because some really important writing has come out of that. Like yes. when I think about like Judith Butler, it actually like kind of makes me upset when people are like, well, she was like totally hit it wrong. I'm like, if you look past the language and actually just think about the concept, we are still performing gender. And like, I know there's people who are trying to get to like the purity of like thinking about non-binary and th- like shedding this gender tropes. You can hate the language. I go, but you can't. Like, we have to talk about the concept because she she nailed it. The podcast that's coming out this Wednesday, we're talking on Tuesday, like, mm-hmm. one of the sort of slogans that came out of our talk um, was that every hero is a villain and everything in between, right? And every villain yeah. is a hero. And every single historical figure is complicated that way because you're yeah. coming to it with all of your biases from your time. Absolutely. And they came to it with all of their bias from their time. And you're trying yeah. to unpack and understand the context you know it's not mm-hmm. just bias it's just context like yeah. and everything is so particular you'll never be that person in that time mm-hmm. period you know there's yeah. no way to really really connect and yet at the same time there is right and yeah. it's really important to always keep that in mind it makes me think of like there's so many problems with Simone de Beauvoir wrote this in the 64 the second sex mm-hmm. right there's so oh, many problems yeah, with second it sex. yeah there's there's problems like lots of problems yeah. but also like you know the fundamental it was so groundbreaking for me to just read the fundamental idea of mm-hmm becoming a woman and the way that society is enforcing and constructing your gender like Mm -hmm. my understanding of that came out of that book because I read it like when I was very young um and it was like completely eye-opening for me I wasn't a very critical kid I was trying to like escape a lot of things I was trying to like run to um masculine spaces and be accepted Mm -hmm. and it was a struggle for me to find the things that I could connect with. And that was one of them. And even though I know like we're way, talk about like somebody who we're way beyond now, but who is an important contributor 
to the dialogues that we're having right now at this yeah, moment. The the second wave feminism yeah. is like between like the uh, the feminine mystique and like that book basically yeah. launched the second wave of feminism and all things. And so, yeah, it's like incredibly important book. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like you made me think about like how the naivety, naivety of reading something when you're like 18 or like when they, um, like Catcher in the Rye. And like, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. But there's something really nice about reading things when you're, you know, below 22, like you're in college, like experiencing yeah. these like old texts, these 50, 60 year old texts for the first time, because in a lot of ways, there's a lot of biases you don't have yet. That Kerouac book, <laughs> everyone, that everyone reads as like a teenager, they're like, we're going to get in a car and tour the country, go on Route 69. Yeah. And then you read it as an adult, like I did, like, I think I read it again when I was 30, because it was assigned to me. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's something, like, it, it, is it called On the Road or something like that? On the Road. It that's is. Exactly what's yes. Called. It's okay. called On the Road. Um, <laughs> Man, that book does not hold up whatsoever. Yeah. Um, okay. But I, I, I believe that 15-year-olds like are still Nick. reading it. <laughs> um, like, I'm sure they are. Yeah. They, they still are, and they're still thinking about when they get their driver's license and they hit the road. But when will it be banned by... <laughs> it's um it's by a white author talking about, you know, white maleness, so it's never going to get banned. Oh, because fuck, you're right. That's everything so Everything that depressing. he says and all the sexist things that he does to women in that book is, you know... I've been thinking a lot in the past week about how it's cool that Democrats who have like the bullhorn are now using the word abortion, which like there's so much criticism that how they never used the word abortion. But I started thinking about how it's like, like it's a branding campaign. I wish that like people would hire a brander yeah. and like really think about it. Cause to me, it's like, you're letting the, the pro birthers control the narrative by saying like all or nothing. And I'm just kind of like, Hey, when you say pro choice, actually define what pro-choice is be like i'm pro-adoption i'm pro i'm pro-mothers i'm pro-fathers i'm pro-family i'm pro-adoption i'm pro-abortion i'm pro the woman and the family unit deciding what they want to do yes because um, i'm pro-freedom like it's like it's like things like that like i'm pro-freedom yeah and i think about the medieval term um you know, there were abortion miracles performed by saints in mm-hmm. medieval lore about difference. Like St. Bridget is a good example. At, she's an Irish saint. Um, but they called it womb healing, right? It wasn't, there wasn't the word abortion. And it was this, like, it was a healing process. And we think of abort. people have constructed this insane narrative of abortion as this like secret shameful horrible thing and i think it's a difficult decision for a lot of people right it's a it's a hard decision to make but it's a healing decision and ultimately it's a health decision and that's been understood for thousands of years (laughs) yeah it's like everyone's been saying like this doesn't end abortion and this won't this isn't going to produce reproduce more infants by uh, yeah. making abortion illegal and what is this weird nazi bullshit of like we need more what no like no, they want more capitalist people to fill they want more people at sheffield plants because they don't want immigrants anymore they want like they're just like we can't have immigration yeah, yeah. we um, want to underpay we need to fill the... <laughs> the worker class for our capitalists because like, we need we need basically slaves well know? like sylvia i mean first of all i don't I'm not entirely in love with Sylvia Federici's work, but she talks about this too, right? Like where yeah, she's writing about... Yeah, in Caliban about, and the Witch, yeah. Yeah, in Caliban and the Witch. And she, I mean, she's very Marxist. Everything is about Marx. And everything <laughs> is in response to like primitive accumulation, which I kind yeah. of disagree with. No, like... But like, 
she really is also responsible for a lot of ideas around reproductive labor that we have now. The thing that she's talking about is just, you know, the ways that different societies in the like 12 to 1300s created laws, like it was basically legal to rape a woman in Venice and Florence in the 1300s by law, right? There were all of these ideas around how to, A, she links it to splitting up the proletariat, right? Making sure that workers don't have solidarity with each other by emphasizing a two-gender system rather than, you know, like there's been lots of work recently, like Leia Devon's The Shape of Sex, um, or, you know, Thomas Lacour's Making Sex, uh, that I've just read recently, which are both about, they're about a lot of other things, but they talk about the one sex model that existed for most of the medieval period and how splitting that into a two sex model, they don't say this, but I'm saying this as an analysis of their work in Silvia Federici, uh-huh. like, you know, splitting that into a two sex model really was a way to divide workers and also to make sure that a lot of those laborers don't get paid for their work, right? And those laborers are women and the people doing sex, care work, domestic labor could have been and often previously were compensated are no longer compensated. Yeah. But this all ties back to like, again, like, Justice Alito's uh, statement. Going back to the very beginning, like the post I did on Instagram, I think I said something about like, like this is a capitalist game. I I approach women's rights, I think in a, a different way because I grew up in a Christian Republican household that I had to like actively learn that there's a whole other part of the world. Yeah. And I felt like it took me to my 30s to really like unpack biases that I didn't know I had until something happened and I was like, oh fuck like (laughs) yeah I thought I was better and I'm not like I need to get better at that of those 26 states that take control of women's bodies and force them to endure months of pregnancy and childbirth they will never have equal status under the constitution um it's like mainly like the thesis of it because I think as as like growing up in a republic household pro-life was always like getting judges getting judges to change the laws, to change it back to, you know, make America great 1950s. Jesus Christ, Um, yes. And, like, I remember when I first started teaching, like, kids over, adults 18 over, um, in 2012, like, like, right before Obama won his second one. Like, it wasn't about Mitt Romney, but it was about, like, why I don't vote Republican. And it's like, because I grew up in a household of Republicans, it's like, okay, I can get behind that idea. Like, I'm actually an independent thinker. I like, if you talk to me about policy, and like, I definitely have had like, my brother convince me on like Republican ideas Mm -hmm. that don't exist anymore, by the way. Like, Mm -hmm. this is like more like Reaganomics, like, side of this. These don't exist anymore. I remember telling my students, like, it doesn't matter, though. This could be fundamentally better for me. I go, but like, they think I should go back to the kitchen. Like, if they go back, like, and I remember think, like telling students this, I'm like, this is why you vote because of like, the yes. judges. I, would, I remember being like, you vote for the judges that you want to pick. Yes. They're the ones who are actually making laws. Like, who cares if you don't like someone? It's the better, like, it's not even like the better, like, two evils. It's like, cause, like I said, like, I'm in a unique position that I grew up in a household that that's all they talked about with judges. Like, they're Newt Gingrich all the way. It's like the fucking, what's her name? Catherine Mizell, right? In Florida, yeah. who overruled the mask mandate. Yeah. Like, she is this, like, young, know-nothing fucking judge. And Never litigated anything. It's ridiculous. Uh, right. And, like, judges have so much power, and the Democratic Party in the United States has really fallen short the, on that. Yeah, yeah dropped the ball. Yeah, they dropped the ball on that. 
it just makes me so disappointed that it was such an easy thing to do. Well, not easy because like, honestly, like between um, oh, Mitch McConnell and then Reed, I, I mean, they changed yeah. the, the voting laws to like remove the filibuster from all judges, which maybe at the time I was just like, oh, I don't like that. Like I want more centrist judges, but now it's like Biden has now surpassed Trump on putting so many judges on the court yeah. in the first two years. And so I'm like, well, I mean, I guess the nice thing is, is now we can just put like, I want him putting judges on the court. Like I trust his advisors. I trust the people he's listening to. And so like when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I remember like crying that night and telling people, I was like, and my partner Nick will testify to this. I was just like, in less than two years, Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned. And like everyone was like, no, you're being hyperbolic. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. I, like, like, you know me, I'm a news junkie. Like, I've been following the news my whole life. Yeah. Because, like, I had to argue with my parents. So I had to have facts to argue with my parents. They've been waiting for this moment for 50 years. And the Merrick Garland in 2015 not getting on Supreme Court, it's like it just dawned on them. They're like, oh, judges are important. It's like, yeah. you're too late. You're so too late. You're yeah. a solid 30 years too late on this. I mean, yeah, and it's just so obviously about controlling women and also about racist racial fears among, like, mm -hmm. a minority white male population of dudes. The Southern Baptists supported abortion, like, basically until desegregation started happening, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden they started fucking getting involved in politics. And they passed, I can't remember when it was, 1974, that they, like, mm -hmm. passed affirming legislation that was supported by the Southern Baptists, right, and the evangelical community at large. I don't yeah. I don't know if your family was, they were evangelical. They were Baptist, not they Southern Baptist. Baptist, First Baptist, yeah. which is, different. from what I understand, very different than Southern Baptists. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, my point is just that racism and misogyny have really mm -hmm. been at the core of the turn toward this anti-abortion, quote-unquote, yeah. pro-life um, movement that's happened and it's being touted as religious when it's not. Have you ever fucking heard of the massacre of the innocents? Have you ever heard? Like, there's so many examples in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, yeah we're talking exactly. about Christianity, but like this extends to Judaism and Islam as well. It's and fucking. And what cracks me up is it's like if you're really like this is so I haven't read this anywhere, but this is kind of like how they want to ban abortion because it it typically white women can afford to have an abortion either like financially like at the place where they live or they can travel somewhere else and so they want infants and so they don't want black or brown infants they want to make sure that like they get the infants that they want and then on top of that it's like there might be an infant shortage i go but they actually looked at the statistics this morning and this is from 2021 there are 114,000 kids who are available for adoption. I know. Granted, so most sad. of them are black. And of that, most of them are black males. Now, like when I read that, that's my thought. I'm like, oh no, no, you don't want black or brown babies. I go, it isn't about that. I'm like thinking about that as well. It's like, they think banning abortion is going to create this like influx of like white children. I was reading an Atlantic article that was written, I think October, 2022, where I'm getting a lot of these like statistics from. It was like women since being a single mother isn't stigmatized as much as the more majority of women are actually keeping their children. And in black and Latino communities, it's even higher of these communities. I think it was like 9%, like only 9% decide to choose adoption yeah, um, for the choice. And of those, it's mostly because they already have kids and they actually can't take care 
of any more kids. And that's the same thing with like the abortion statistics. It's like 93% of abortions happen in the first trimester. And then the six or 7% that's like left over, it's not because they're like, oh, I just decided not to have a kid anymore. Like rip it out. After the first trimester, it actually is like your child has a development issue that could affect the life of the child. That's a personal decision that like this woman or this family unit has to make like are you like financially because the government's not going to help you yeah it's like these are decisions it's like when the government decides to pass like the child earned credit tax when the government decides or these state governments decide to like actually take care of families i mean no i'm like i'm never going to be like make abortion illegal but it's like until you prove to me that you want to take care of children who can't like whose parents can't afford to have them pretty me you care about families yes and it is also like just such, we are just creating an environment of shame around something that i fundamentally i would never want to live in the medieval period but i do <laughs> love the term womb healing like i think that we have just thought about this in completely the wrong way as a society for so exactly. long now um and there's i mean like there's lots of reasons i wouldn't live in the medieval period it was a very fucking awful misogynist racist like time um but you know it's not like you can't look to the past and see things and revise and say maybe that was a good thing and take it forward to now i haven't thought about this for years but a friend of mine in my art class when i was in high school already had a kid and we were 16 and she got pregnant again and like literally my her couple of her friends and i all finally encouraged her to like go to planned parenthood and she had an abortion mm-hmm. and i'm obviously not going to say anything about who this was or whatever yes of um course. but she was black everyone in fucking school found out about it and like ostracized her and made fun of her for it this is not how things should be. That was like the most difficult decision I've ever seen anyone make. I'm sure everyone listening to this remembers being that age and just like how difficult, boring, normal shit is, right? Yeah. Um, and then having your healthcare be a public and everybody knows about it. Um, like that's one of the things about pregnancy that is like truly terrifying, especially if you're young. How public it is. Everyone fucking knows what's happening yeah. to you. I posted on social media that I got the Regeneron treatment and mm-hmm. I had people message me and say, well, what's the justification for you getting that? Because I had COVID. Um, and it was this like, I don't feel like I need to justify my health care yeah. to you. I'm, I mean, I did put it out there and tell people and I'm fine with, you know, saying I have like. I have asthma and I have eczema and my doctor thought because it was getting worse and worse that I should go get that treatment. And those are like invisible illnesses that are like whatever. No yeah. one. So anyways, um, and that's not even that public, but I still felt like freaked out by how many people messaged mm-hmm. me saying like, well, why should you be allowed to have this thing? No, it's so good. But I actually want to go back to the high school the, uh, high school girl. Um, when I was reading this Atlantic article and I'll send it to you and so you can like, like they go back all the way to like World World War Two times, and they were talking about like up until like the seventies, there was actually like an abundance of white babies, um, like too many. But that's also because abortions were really hard to get, and they hid women away, they hid teenagers yeah. away, and then coerced them to give up their child. Yeah. So like when for you know, oh God, we can't forty go back. years. That there's a reason why there are so many babies to adopt, I know. and like the seventies was the height of like the baby adoption boom is because they literally coerced and took these these babies away 
And so like, they're talking about, there's a deficit of, of like infants. It's like, no, because like we just destigmatized single parenthood. It was stigmatized. Like you, you hid the fact that you were a single mother, like getting divorced was a taboo. Um, even back then you would think that like the Christian right would actually be pretty stoked that like teenage pregnancies at the lowest ever, you know, because people are getting educated, you know, the stigma of being a mother and like taking care of the, your responsibility, your women and men are stepping up to the plate and taking care of these like unwanted pregnancies be like, it's unwanted, but you know what? I can do this. Like I can do this. My parents are up late or like they, they figure out their support system. And even like listening to like NPR for the past, like, you know, 10 months about <laughs> Texas and what women are going yeah. through and like hearing yeah. like personal stories on like story core and everything. It's like remarkable. Like how women are like, yeah, I had a kid at like 17. I was too young. My parents kicked me out, but like I, I figured it out and like, it was hard. I gave up a lot of things, but like you, you hear like the resilient and like, yes, I would have, I would have chose something different, but that wasn't an option for me. Yeah. I'm inferring this part. The article just like lists all these facts and these numbers, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, like, isn't that what y'all wanted? Y'all wanted people to take responsibility. Oh, you're upset that you got caught stealing women's babies <laughs> and telling them that they're not allowed to have it. And that's where we had so many yeah. infants. You know, it's yeah. like, I thought you were pro-family. I mean, they've never said they're pro-family. They're just pro-life. They're pro-birth. And then if they cared about the family, they would actually be really stoked about these numbers. Being like, this is great. Biological children are staying with biological parents. But then there is a moment, like we can go to the foster students. So there is a moment where they go like at three, yeah. I actually can't take care of this child. Uh, and it could be a litmus of things that like, it, it could be anything where they give it up. Um, they go into the foster care system. Again, if you cared about that child's life, why are you not, not putting more money in the foster care system to make that better and not so fucking scary? You know? Yeah. I mean, I it's know. so eugenicist, too. This yes! like entire, yeah. Um, I didn't even think about that angle of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it is really like, th- that's that's actually how I've been mostly thinking about it. Let me back it up. I was over the summer listening to like quite a few podcasts that were unpacking the United States relationship with the eugenics movement. Um, And I was just kind of thinking about that more broadly, the way that that has shaped everything in the United States, how we talk about policy, how we talk about public health, like all of those things and the structural inequalities that have been purposefully baked into the laws in this country go back to exactly what you've been talking about, this desire for white babies. And reproductive labor is so much a part of the movement of the of eugenics that happened. There's so many people, I, I also, we've been talking pretty in like a pretty binary way of like Democrats and Republicans. You know, there's so many people who think about abortion as a philosophical or theological problem instead of a reality. Look, I mean, I'm pretty sure that I I can like win a philosophical debate about abortion hands mm-hmm. down flat. You know, and that's all about personhood and science and life and when does life yeah. begin or like human life, right? Because like the status of personhood and humanity versus life, you eat meat, whatever, like mm-hmm. you know, there there's like a long chain of things there. But honestly, those things are not important to me. The reality of the situation and the things that you're speaking about, listening to people talk about going through pregnancy and making choices around that, about what you're going to do with your life, 
that is a reality and the complexity of all of the decisions that go into that are nobody's fucking business except the person who's making those decisions and anyone they want to consult with and talk to about it. That's it. You might not have supportive parents or you might not have a supportive community, but if you think that the best thing to do for your health, for the health of your children or future children, the health of your community is to not have that child right now, you should be able to make that decision. It's just like so obvious. It's about community and about individual freedom. I, I I have like so many bullet points I want to hit. These personal freedoms, like then I start thinking about libertarianism. Yes, I was just um, gonna say libertarianism. And then I think about like, uh, who is that like firecracker blonde on like the Blaze News? Uh, uh, Tammy Tommy Lauren. Oh fuck, fuck! Uh, I haven't thought about her. <laughs> yeah, you know why you haven't? You know why you haven't thought about I her? I don't want to think about because her because I have actually okay, like, <laughs> like I I will own this statement <laughs> on one issue mad respect for her mm-hmm. because she got fired and ostracized from the whole right-wing community it was like you know five years ago maybe she was on like you know a talk show on fox news and she's like i'm a libertarian and she's going down the list of every like i want my guns i want my deregulation i want my no zoning and like get your laws off my body and yeah. they're like well, what do you mean by that she was just like if i want an abortion no government i believe in small government nothing get off my body yeah and she literally got like booed off stage as a disgusting yeah why you don't see her around at all because she was just like like fuck you like then you're not true libertarians all y'all saying you're libertarians but really you just want to control me you want to control this woman and i was just kind of like i wish that you were still talking to that community yes because they're like they were listening because if Rand Paul, like, you're not fucking libertarian. You're a capitalist who wanted to do the best for you because you contradict yourself all the time about shit. When it's good for you, then you want government handout. When someone Fuck else yeah. is asking for it, they're freeloader welfare people. That's one point, which I don't know how I got onto that that libertarian. Thing. Oh, the, the mask mandates, because this has been really interesting because, you know, the far right's like, my body, my choice, which I thought was like, annoying but clever that they co-opted that language <laughs> but then it's like it's funny because like we're we're like you know we've moved on past the mass mandates and it's like they forgot the my body my choice because now course. they're just like of course i mean of course they're of all hypocrites. well because when like, it's when convenient that, for you it's fine yeah you know? no exactly because when like you know two years ago when i heard like the my body my choice i was kind of like well i'm i guess i'm lucky that i live in vermont because Everyone's wearing a mask here. Even the Trump supporter is wearing a Trump mask. And I almost wanted to give him a high five because I didn't care that you're a Trump supporter. I was just glad that you were wearing a mask. You know, thank you for having respect for other people. Yeah. And so it's like, it was like a hard one for me because I actually do believe my body, my choice. And like when the pandemic happened, I was just kind of like synapses, like hitting all around because I know that I will do the right thing for my community and like wear a mask. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's um, just about community respect, right? And, yeah. and doing, exactly. like, what you feel is right in that time and what the science is telling you. Mm-hmm. And, like, you should ultimately be allowed to make those decisions. I believe in my yeah. body, my choice, too. But, I mean, there's been many periods of time where, like, wearing a mask has been just, like, totally the right decision to make. For me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or, it's like, just so... And on this, like, on the same time, like, I remember at the Women's March in 2017 in D.C., and, like, this was everywhere. Like, we've seen it forever. 
the don't tread on me flag, which it's funny because I saw that flag more at left leftist protests for like 20 years, the don't tread on me. Yeah. And it was really interesting. And not saying that the far right hasn't used that flag as well. Uh, But it was like funny, like, you know, from 2017 and on, Mm -hmm. how like the far right now shows that flag everywhere. Like now I see it everywhere. Yeah. You see it Um, co-opted. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like, was like, I was like, oh man, like, yeah. Like, but the thing is the left isn't taking away rights. Like they're actually trying to expand rights to everyone. And like, you've now, like you said, don't tread on me, but you're actually treading on me. So I don't, I can't trust you. You know, like we weren't saying that you can't go to church. We weren't saying that like you can't own guns. It's like we actually not really infringed on your rights very much. Right. So I don't understand. I mean, I do understand. Like, I I know that I'm like playing the naive card. Like, I just don't understand why. Like, you think that taking away my rights is totally fine. It makes me think of Al Sharpton, who said something like, you know, I'm a pastor, but I also believe that there's no space for God, a doctor and the entire United States government to be in a room with a patient <laughs> like this, <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like go Al Sharpton he's great but yeah. he, you know it's also just like it's true your religion if you're a religious person can be in the room with you and mm-hmm. be a guiding force for you but it's yeah. not in the room with somebody else and it shouldn't be like two days ago when I started thinking about like the freedom of religion I started thinking about my current work, how we've been talking about, like, especially for spring break. It's like, yeah, I think I'm like creating a religion. And you're like, you are. And I'm like, I know, like, that wasn't my goal in the beginning, but like, feel like I'm just, I'm creating like these devotional things. And two days ago, I was like, I might have to rewrite my artist statement and like talk about how my religion allows abortion, the freedom of decision. And then I was like, man, I wonder if I could like legally make my practice a real religion and then take it to the Supreme Court. I mean, I I can't because I feel like if I did that, I would have to have like decades of proving I'm using religious, but maybe not because people were using their religion to not get shots for COVID vaccine. Yeah, I feel like I'm gonna try to figure out that angle because I really have in the past week been like, okay, well, Roe is gonna be overturned. Mitch McConnell has already said that a national ban is possible. And you know, he says he's not going to like, he's not going to change the filibuster. He's 100% going to change the filibuster. Fuck yeah, he is. To let a a national ban. Anyone who says that, it's like, when has Mitch McConnell, the Republicans ever held true to their word? I mean, I'm waiting on seeing what the satanic temple does and things like that, right? You know. Exactly, because they've actually won court cases in Texas about this because again like they've been established for at least 70 years if not longer Mm -hmm. as like a church with a 501 CK and all those things I mean I hate to say it like you have to vote like I'm I'm thinking like two things for white women um, because I think actually white women need to take up this like this is it's not a white woman problem like black women, brown women have like a fucking enough. It's like, I had a friend say that to me this weekend, um, we were talking about all of this and she just yeah. looked at me. She was just like, white women need to do this. I don't got fucking time to add this to my list of activist shit that I'm going to do. And yes. I just like looked at Sada and I was like, girl, I'm all over this. Like, this is something like during the Black Lives Matters March, I didn't know how to get involved because it's like, I didn't want to be like that white voice being like, I got ideas, you know, like, I was like, no, like, I will, I'll follow, like, I will follow wherever you go. But as like a white woman in this movement, it's like, 
I'm going to fucking take the bulls by the horn and like do whatever. Like, and I don't know what that is yet. I almost feel like I'll go to Montpelier on a protest and just start talking to women and being like, okay, so what are like, we're lucky we live in Vermont that they just codified everything. But like, what are we going to do for Oklahoma and Arkansas? Because I don't got a lot of money, but like, I bet I fly someone here to have an abortion, you know? And I or like, we can raise money to just like fly women in. Um, I'll take them to Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, or if they can come here, I'll drive them to Canada. <laughs> yeah. You know? I know. <laughs> yeah, it does feel... I completely agree that this is... Well, first of all, white men, if you're fucking out there listening, this yes. is also your goddamn job. You, you should be taking from this these up. Abortions. You have so benefited from these fucking abortions. And um, there's no laws being proposed saying that, like, you're going to be held financially accountable for the baby that couldn't be aborted because there's no laws like that being put out there. No, I agree with your general sentiment, but I do have to say that as a caveat. Um, yeah, no. Really, it is the purview of white women to really take this up on their mantle. Just fucking structurally, this is all, as we said, it's all designed around a lot of not just misogynistic ideas, but racist ideas and fucking like, is it a surprise that this is coming on the heels of this anti- yeah, critical race theory yeah. or the woke wokeness, anti wokeness. Oh, that's what they're calling it. Yeah, this anti wokeness. Anti wokeness, the woke bill. That's yeah, such that's a ridiculous. Yeah, like that's named it. It's just like a fundamental way of dismissing and marginalizing by calling it that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's gross. But Schumer just proposed a bill that is an abortion bill. Did yeah, you but it's not going to pass. I actually, I, I appreciate just like the voting rights. It was never going to pass, but you put, I think you should put laws up anyway, yeah. just so there's actual people voting against it. Yeah. You know, like there's like a record of voting. And I don't think Democrats have done that enough in the past like 20 years. I agree. It's like, oh, it's going to fail, but like make people vote on it. Oh, but going back to like our civil, like in a, in a sense, like our civil rights, like, like there's so many things to admire about the civil rights movement, like in the 1940s, 50s. 60s voting was so hard and you hear about all the roadblocks that people did people did to like just vote like what they had to fucking do and that's like right now i always hear about like democrats are really depressed because like they did come out in record numbers and like nothing nothing really changed and it's like no just keep on voting out like this is your future like i'm just about out of childbearing age you know like yeah i like i don't really have to worry about this i was lucky you know but you like this is changing your economic status. It's like, this is actually directly affecting you. I just hope that like people don't get discouraged about like my vote doesn't mean anything. That's how we got here. Yeah. Too many people in 2016, when I talked to my college student in 2016, half of them didn't vote. Yep. And I was just kind of like, why? They're just like, I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. Hillary Clinton's going to win. And I was just like, do you know how we got the right to vote? One vote. One vote. One single vote is the reason why women got the right to vote in 1919. That's it. One. One. Yeah. One single. That's how important a vote is. And has been in many elections, right? Like many not, elections, Not yeah. just, I mean, this is a really historical case, but in many elections, it comes down to a few people in a little district, and then there's, like, ripple waves out from that. That's how our government yep. works. Exactly. That's, like, another point that, like, I want the listeners to know. It's, like, your local elections are actually like the most important. I mean, being in yes. a Republican household and growing up a Republican, I have voted in every single election yes. that I, like even when I've moved to like 
four different states, I register immediately. You don't even need it. In most states, you don't even need the, your driver's license to be of that state. You just need like a phone bill, a, like electric bill. My dad was like, you vote for everything because your alderman is actually what's going to affect your life. Like as much as me and my dad argue um, and disagree on a lot of things, it's like, I'm so glad he taught me that. And I just wish that more parents would be like, no, every vote, like you're, I mean, we're learning about school boards. Yeah. I mean, I voted for every single school board. I'm never going to have kids. Yeah. My kid to do it. And like, people don't vote in midterms or like local elections. It's too, it's too hard. Don't have the time. I mean, that's a testament to like the United States not making election a national holiday, which blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. And like Republicans don't want, sorry, go ahead. You didn't want to talk. No, it's fine. I was was just thinking about this idea for a while that I've been throwing back and forth with Jacob that like every single person who lives in the United States should have to do some kind of like two years of civil service when they turn like 17 or 18. Um, And that teaches them participation in government because A, it would make it much more transparent. B, you would know early on in your life that you can work in things and make a difference. And like, that's actually how shit happens. Um, You know, like local politics is super important and you can do things in that and you can actually see the change, right? I feel like at the national level, people say, oh, it doesn't matter because it feels so big, right? Those, mm-hmm. the numbers of people, whatever, it's really alienating. But then also it, it makes me think about how there's been so much conversation over the last couple of months about minority rule, right? And how mm-hmm. there is a minority rule with like abortion. How many people, 62, 63% of people are completely pro-abortion. Um, I hate to use the word pro-abortion, but whatever, I'm doing it. And only like 30-something percent of people are against it. But there's this fucking Supreme Court minority rule that's happening right now, and that's happening Mm -hmm. in a lot of things, not just the Supreme Court. But if you are involved in elections, we can change that. It's a lie to think that we can't change that. Um, And it's a lie that is making a lot of people feel, well, some people feel good, but most people feel kind of like hopeless, despondent. When I first heard about I felt that way when I first heard about the document being leaked. I felt like just fucking like, oh my God, what do I do? There's nothing. But that's not true. You know, and I know it's not true. I just needed to have that moment of like feeling just like super low about it before I could say, okay, like, what can I do? How can I contribute in some way? And this goes back to how in the beginning, in the beginning of the abortion conversation, we I talked about branding. It's easier to brand from fear, definitely. Yeah. And that's why pro-birthers are just so much louder and it feels like they're everywhere. But what disappoints me right now in the past week is when you say pro-abortion, everyone has a huge difference of what pro-abortion actually like sounds like. And the right has done a really good job of being like, they want to pull a nine-month baby out. Without even the mother asking, you know, they just want to like, and they've nailed it because that's what a lot of people that, I mean, that's what like that, that that's core, what they think of. Yeah. 38 thinks that that's when actually all babies are being aborted. It's not about like Biden or anyone be like, well, we want to like codify Roe. Don't say Roe anymore. Actually, I don't think a lot of people truly know what Roe is. And I mean, I would like to codify Roe. So it's not like there's like something devious, but like we believe like, first off, 93% of abortions happen in the first trimester with a pill yeah the other ones you know you can listen i go 24 viability like you know so many governors governor tate reed of mississippi was just like well i believe life starts at conception 
that bars out so many birth controls that actually let the egg get fertilized, but not implant itself. Yeah. First of all, also like life does begin then, but not personhood. What are you talking about? We're not having conversation about life. Trees have life. Do you cut them fucking down? Yes. Like that's such a dumb argument. Exactly. And so I wish that Democrats would actually like more acutely say what the, the terms are. And they don't have to go through that. They can just be like, we believe life starts when the baby can exist outside the womb. That's what Roe versus Way is. Like, after that, it's a case-by-case, and it's between the doctor. It has to save the life of the mother, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I agree Mm -hmm. with all that. But, like, I just wish that they won't just say, like, Roe. Like, I want them to actually use numbers. Yes. um, Because the right is going to manipulate whatever you say. And so try to be really clear about it. It's like Democrats can't seem to say something very clearly. A lot of people actually want the 15-week abortion ban. And when I was, like, thinking about the numbers this week and how I learned, like, 93% of abortions happen in the first trimester, which is 13 weeks and below, I was like, well, if that's a compromise I need to have, but I would want a lot more afterwards. The mother and the doctor have to have a conversation. But Um, this is the problem, right, is, like, the fundamental misunderstanding and misinformation uh that's being perpetuated by this image of a nine-month-old baby being ripped out of its mom and murdered, right? Talk about Massacre of the Innocents, which I said before. It's, like, that's the visual that's being called on for these, like, especially Christian anti-abortion people. And really, like, more of the issue is most abortions happen in the first trimester, yes. The ones that don't are, like often life-threatening right exactly um and there should you should be fucking allowed to save yourself you should not you should have the freedom to live right yeah um and to take away the freedom to survive whatever is the best decision about someone living yes you know and there's there are babies that like the it's a life-threatening the baby has to come out at like 25 weeks um, but you know, the cool thing is that baby was going to kill the mother if you did nothing. But if you got the baby out of 25 meets, it's actually a, a, with today's technology, a good possibility that the baby can also yeah. live as well. And yeah. so it's like, that's what I don't like. That's what makes me so frustrated that like the government isn't actually like concisely talking about what we're talking about right now. It's like, they're, they're letting the, the, the language. Yes. And then all the Democrats are like, well, we want to codify Roe. It's like, no, like I find that it works best when you actually define the word and not mm-hmm. use the word. Yeah. Not everyone knows what the word simulacra means. Okay? Don't ever put in an artist statement. No one cares that you know the word simulacra. <laughs> I said this to do, people about their open call submissions. Like, yeah. just don't do it. Um, how about you just say, I'm interested in the real and the falsity of the real. Like, you know, like, and that's such a more interesting statement yes. than saying... Well, my work thinks about the simulacra of consumerism. Uh, And it's just like, I don't know. You're going to make me look on simulacra. So go back to Roe. It's like, don't say Roe. Just say, like, I believe that, like, up until the baby can live outside the womb and have its own personhood, that is, like, that is what I stand for. You know? That makes sense what I'm saying? Because I feel like... No, it does. It does. uh, It doesn't... the, The right has clearly clarified a time. Life begins. Yes. And the the... The left needs to also clarify when life begins, because that's that's where the argument is, where life begins. Mm-hmm. And that's how you're going to convince, like, the suburban women. Yeah, but again, I think that's not really right. I really think it should be, they're making, okay, this is exactly what you were just saying. 
mm-hmm. the people who are against abortion are making it about life. It's mm-hmm. not about life. It's about personhood and mm-hmm. survival. Right. Yeah. Um, and for me, I just think all of this rhetoric around are you pro-life, blah, 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 like that's just missing the point. You know, this isn't a theolog. We should not be having a theological debate in our laws right now, which mm-hmm. is basically what's happening about life, yes. about God-given life. Um, what we should be having is a dialogue and a conversation about what it means to be a human being who is living in the United States right now and future human beings who might be living in the United States and the fucking world, right? Um, it's about community. It's about individual freedom. And it's about your humanity and personhood. And I just think it's like a completely like misdirect to be like, God implanted this baby in your womb. It's like, it's not a baby yet. It's a group of cells. It's a mushy group of cells that could turn into fucking anything. You know, and sorry. And it can spontaneous abort itself. It can. Which yep. one in four women have spontaneous miscarriages that look exactly like the abortion pill. So and what those are you people do? are going to fucking go to jail. Sorry. Exactly. Like, that exactly. is insane. If you have an activist nurse, a, pro, a pro-birther, who sees the woman coming in bleeding from the vagina, and, and especially if it's a uh, a brown or black person they're gonna assume that they had an abortion because unfortunately you know if it was a white woman it would be like oh i'm so sorry you lost your baby you know it's like and because that's that's just how it's going to be it's that it's like a, a different form of like school to jail pipeline yeah um yeah it's like they're like these women are already going through like such a traumatic thing well okay actually and this is like uh a segue uh i had an abortion when i was 20 no, I, I was really lucky. I had like a really supportive partner at the time. Like we cobbled money together. He was with me for like the three days yeah. that like, well, it was like 24 hours, but I definitely had like cramps and everything for like days after I took the pill. And he was like totally there, there for me. But I would say for like, because of like, I think like, I don't know the exact, like, I don't know what pill I took, but I know that like my hormones were like just completely out of whack for like a solid, like three months afterwards. Like I was just like, yeah up and down up and down and I made artwork about it um and I kind of wish I like I knew where that artwork was <laughs> I have a feeling I threw it away because I had a lot of shame like I didn't yeah. tell anyone about that abortion except for like close friends um I mean honestly I think until I posted on Instagram maybe in like 2016 or 17 and like a crotch shot a tuber yeah. post um because I remember going to like a Jessica Valenti show and talked about parenting and I didn't do this, but like a woman came up like during the Q&A being like, I want to tell you about my abortion and like a parenting thing, a feminist yeah. parenting class. And I was like, whoa, that's like the most powerful thing I've ever seen anyone do wow. because it's about parenting and motherhood. And like, and she was like, I chose not to be a parent, you know? And I was just kind of like, yeah, like that's like, I kind of like want more women to talk about like why they're choosing not to be a parent. Yes. And it isn't because we're overeducated going home to like our, our cats and microwave dinners. Oh, fuck. Who said that? Matt, Matt Gates. <sighs> it's interesting because, you know, that line is what's always been used against women who are trying to stand up for themselves mm-hmm. um, and people who are trying to stand up for themselves, right? Oh, well, if it's not that you're stupid, it's that you're frigid and cold because you're too smart. 
those are like the polar ends, right, that are always evoked. Um, And it is just so, it's a way of saying that you shouldn't be allowed to make your own decisions. It's the opposite way, right? It's not saying Mm -hmm. that, oh, these women are like too stupid to make their own decision. It's like, you can't know what's good for you because you're disconnected from all of your emotions and what you really need is like somebody who's gonna like tell you what to do kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like in June when Roe versus Ray, there's like a the, there's gonna be like an added layer. And then when they when they use the same logic to take away, you know, loving versus Virginia and when they use the same logic as the Burkhoff case, the gay marriage, like it's like if Alito is using you know, 1845 language, which I think he, I, I think he I read somewhere, is. it's like he's yeah. literally grabbing from like penal codes and law codes yeah. from early, like pre-Civil War. And it's like, what? Yeah. Like talking about historical context and writing. <laughs> I think it's super important what you're saying about the caveat that this has never really been the land of the free. Mm-hmm. But I constantly go back and forth. And actually, we talked about this with the talk I did with the World's Fair, this idea of utopia and how Mm -hmm. fucked up and horrible, like both the 1939 and 1964, like all of the ideals, like the unimaginativeness of that Mm -hmm. utopia. But there's still that hope of utopia. And there's still an indication that the people who created that thing knew that utopia would be different. Um, And worked in ideas for that. And that's why the United States came with that kind of utopic hope of, like, freedom and having a land that could be free. But there was also totally an understanding that it wasn't, right? And that there Mm -hmm. were people, I mean, there was abolitionist movements happening even when the Declaration of Independence was written. Like, there were, there was an understanding it was not a free land. It is so fucking dumb to be like a constitutionalist stan when <laughs> when like even the founders themselves knew that it was going to be amended and adopted and that history changes right yeah. even it's if like you that... fetishize the founding like members yeah. it's, it's just it's an imaginary that never existed i'm no it's like it also makes me think of in the constitution like a lot of civil rights people use this language is like they're they're longing for a more like more perfect union in the constitution and i always like really admired that in the civil rights movement in the current civil rights movement because it, it's never ended yeah i've walked this earth as a white woman who really had to like learn a lot of things about my whiteness like how my buddy Saba was like this is like white women need to come up and like step up now like i feel like this is like my moment to be like we can be a more perfect union like i know i have i have my eye on the prize of what now i feel like i've been kind of fighting for but now I know, like, I, I feel like I'm starting to formulate how I will exist in this new world to bring better things for my fellow humans. Yeah, I think that we both really identify with some core United States concepts about, like, yes. liberty and freedom. And, like, I am not afraid of saying that I want those things. I love those things. Those are ideals that were completely imaginary, right? The way they yeah. were sold to me as a kid, um, as if they were realities for everyone Uh because they're not but it motivated me it has motivated me and still motivates me to want those things for everyone and this bullshit that's happening right now in our country 
in the United States and in the world, right? I know that we're being very American-centric in the way that we're talking mm. about this, but this is a fucking problem everywhere, right? <laughs> Women's labor, capitalism, yeah. it affects everyone. I do feel yeah. like it's something that I feel, <laughs> I do feel very American in the way that yeah. I think about that. And I think that's okay. Um, I like I grew up too. here, you know. And I'm with you on that. Like I, like sometimes I'm disappointed in America but I also wouldn't want to be anything else. I feel very lucky to have been born as an American citizen with all the faults that we have. No country is perfect. Not even Sweden and Norway. I've been there. I've, I've seen shit. The world's like, Whoa, Whoa, that's fucked up what I just saw. So yeah. it's like, there's no, like no country is perfect. Everyone has some, like what you said, similar things, but like in going back to being like, I'm not proud to be an American at this moment. I also like, don't want these awful people to co-op my American dream and co-op my American flag. You know, like, even though I'm making a lot of work right now, that's like bastardizing the American flag. So I'm so mad that that's how I'm working through my, my issues. Um, but I get really excited. Like in Vermont, I see up here a lot, the American flag with like the pride flag and like the black lives matter flag. And I always cool. like, actually really appreciate that they yeah. put the American flag with those three because it's like, because there's so many American flag and Trump flags and like, yeah. like fuck Joe Biden flags yeah. all together. It's like, no, like, please, like, I'm glad that like in my little neck of the woods, like people are like, no, nah, I'm not going to let you take the flag because I'm going to put it right next to the queer flag. Yeah. And like, you have to like resolve that too, because I am here too. Yeah. I mean, you know? I don't necessarily, so my feelings about that too, are just like nations as a concept are a problem anyways, but I do mm -hmm. feel allegiance and I do think the most patriotic thing that anyone can do is to want to better their country, right? Yeah. Somehow that's seen as a bad thing by a lot of people who are on the right end of the political spectrum. Yeah. Um, as if like, you know, as if like wanting to say, oh, you know, the people who wrote the Constitution they did plan also, A, they're from a different time. Talk about being from a different time and being annoyed mm -hmm. at people's writing. I mean, yeah. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, what they also knew it would be different. Mean? Right. They yeah. knew it would be different. Um, and they knew it would be a contestable document and wrote it with like purposefully ambiguous sections. I truly believe that. And I think that the best way to be a patriotic American is to know that context is the key to understanding and interpreting law, right? You shouldn't be drawing on shit from the 1840s to make an argument. You just shouldn't. No. You can talk about it. You can say that that happened. But we're in a completely like, different place. Or don't use the, the line, um, we're in a deficit of infants without listing all the facts that are like, Yes. The reason why it's like you're making it sound like there's not babies out there. Like, aren't you excited that mothers are choosing to take care of their own children? Aren't yeah, you excited and fucking that climate change. Teenage like, pregnancy rate is at its all time low. Aren't you excited that abortions are at all? Like, yes. yes, there's a deficit of infants because people are taking responsibility for their child and their their lives. Yeah, and we have too many fucking people on the earth, anyways. anyways. Like uh, Jesus, you know, come on. How is that it's even a valid argument? Line. Yeah. We and that also shouldn't up. be a factor in this. Yeah, we no. probably should in a little we, bit. We, we <laughs> Sorry, it's been, I just um, looked at the time. As a disclaimer, I am not an expert on anything that I just said right now. I just read a lot and I hopefully I, I told the information that I regurgitated in the most artful way I could without being too angry. 
if I get something wrong, it, it wasn't out of malice. It was out of just like heat of the moment. Yeah. And I also think that I uh, instigated you because I didn't try to not be angry. So yeah. no, we got to feel, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I've, I've been kind of ending podcasts with artists asking them about upcoming shows or work or whatever. And I'd like you to answer that. But I also thought the best upcoming thing that I could ask you is if you had any resource suggestions or upcoming like protests that you're going to, etc. Um, so you could tell you also were just talking about um, the American flag and uh, <laughs> destroying it. So yeah. like you can really open, but tell us about upcoming things. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a hundred percent going to go to the protest in Montpelier for uh, pro-choice um, men. Please go. Yeah. Um, for real. Y'all still have more power um, than us. So maybe they'll listen to you. And then funny enough, I have a show coming up that was, uh, and I was invited to do at uh, Mocha Westport, which is a small museum in Connecticut. Um, and it was about um, pulling the threads of political discourse mm -hmm. and, uh, Jack Leva actually like dropped oh, cool. my name um, to the curator there, and it was supposed to be a fiber show, um, but it's about like political discourse. Like you make a flag, a, a protest flag. I actually made a flag for that, which also that's why I was talking about the American flag. Because now I'm like, especially since everyone goes down, like I'm gonna make more. And she was like, you can make more, but I might only show one. I'm like, that's all right. You can just show the best one, or you can show you the one that like hits your curatorial statement. But my first flag I made was. I took coat hangers and took them apart and made the American flag um, out of coat hangers, um, which is on my Instagram. Um, I made that one funny like six, maybe like two two months ago, maybe. Um, I was very upset about like Oklahoma passing yeah. a, a copycat law. Yeah. And so I made it like immediately. And now it's like that flag is even more pertinent as ever. And then on the day that the, um, and then the last thing is like going back to the American flag, the third thing that you were mentioning Someone posted on social media all of Mira uh, score, sure. mm -hmm. um, all of her U.S. flags mm -hmm. um, paintings, and I got like really inspired. And I was like, um, telling my friend Peter, I was like, you know, like I want to see those flags in person. Like I want to see them as real American flags. And so I'm gonna do like slight redesign choices with them, but I think make them out of like I I just ordered a whole bunch of duck canvas, so like. I'm going to try cool. to make like a very authentic American flag. Yeah. I ordered a whole bunch of white embroidered stars. Like the first one I'm going to do is like, she has this one where it's like, there's no stars, but it's like the blue background and like a white dick. And I'm going to make that one first, but I, I got, uh, embroidered stars and I'm going to sew the stars into the dick. So I got 50 stars. Cool. And so that's going to be a little bit my take, but I, I kind of really want to see her flags in real life and then maybe make a few more flags. But no, like, if someone wants to fly these flags, like, one thing I like about flags is, like, I throw them in the mail, mm. and people... Yeah, Jacob and I have them. talked about doing, uh, we would call it VEX, V-E-X, and mm -hmm. have rotating artist flags at different flagpoles throughout the city. Um, mm -hmm. It's, like, still an ongoing thing, but hopefully we're going to start that soon, so, like... Let yeah. me know. <laughs> uh, it's funny that you say that because in Philadelphia, one of my old grad friends, Heather Phillips, uh, she in front of her house uh, erected a whole bunch of flagpoles and she asked artists to make flags to mm -hmm. hang outside. Cool. Like rotating flagpoles. Like I've kind of always been really into this idea, at least for the past like eight, I'll say decade of places that like invite you to do a flag, like yeah. a very traditional 40 by 60 flag. Cool. Some artist residencies, but... 
Artist residencies too. Cool. Great. Yeah. Um, artist residencies that hopefully let you keep going on this work to wrap things up. I mean, I just want to say again, the reason I reached out to you, I say that it was impulsive, but really it's because of like years of work that you've put into creating Tipper Gore, (laughs) that character that, um, the visceral nature of the images that are for you, as you've described them, like so simple, uh, to make, you're just like, this is just, but also was like years of fermenting thoughts about like the crotch flash and Mm -hmm. like metal and crowning and all of those things are like coming together in that project. But it's also like totally a social media project, right? It doesn't exist in a gallery. It only exists in the gallery of social media, right? Of your feed. Yeah. Of like your feed. Not my feed. Which is a gallery. Like it's a lie to say that that's not a gallery space, but it's just a virtual different type. And it's also much more accessible than a normal gallery, which I think is the great thing about that project. It hits so many people and so many people yeah. see it. So again, I just like really appreciate your work and you taking time to talk with me about not just your work, but also just mm-hmm. about the state of things in the United States, abortion, also just women's labor and reproductive health. Yeah. Um, you know, like we've touched on a lot of topics that go everything from like censorship and Tipper Gore through abortion and legal rights. Yeah, thank you for inviting me as well. It makes me nervous because I'm definitely not a scholar in these things. It's just something like, and you're right, like I think about, like come to think of it, I do think about pro-choice and abortion more than any other women's rights. There's just something so fundamental about controlling one's future that's tied up to that. This is something that is just like this actually fundamentally changes your life. This is the knot that unties everything else, right? Like if this isn't there, all of, I mean, all of the structural inequalities are just amplified, right? Like whether Mm -hmm. that's the wage gap, whether that's housing. I I mean, I totally agree with you. And I do think about this a lot more frequently, I think, than most other issues that are women's feminist issues. You know, that and domestic violence maybe are like the top two that I think about, right? And so it does, you know, it's not like we're going to come up with solutions that are going to answer it. But I think it comes down to local politics, like we talked about. (laughs) Yeah, It comes to like voting for your state people. You know what I've learned? What I've learned in the past two years is your state government has more power you think it does. Yeah. I learned that. I was just like, holy shit, January 6th, what? Like, you're just going to ignore people? We need more people to run for things, too. Like, I mean, we're talking about voting, but if you're in a position where you feel like you can try to run for some kind of office, you should do it. You know, there's so... I mean, voting is the bare minimum. We should all be voting. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) But we could do more than vote. We could do, like, other things. Like, um, there's a thing called Run for Something. I think it's .com or .org. Or .org. I don't know which one. I'll put it in the show notes. But um, that's something that I would encourage everyone. Go look up your zip code and just think Mm -hmm. about, like, what's available. I mean, there's, I think, Emily's List for Democratic Women. Yeah. Um, as well. They're, they have lots of funding. But yeah, yeah runforsomething.org is definitely a great starting point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like on that note, we'll leave you with go out and do something. Uh, yeah. That's what I want people to do. Go to a protest, make art, or run for something. <laughs> or run for something, yeah. <laughs> and definitely vote. So thanks so much for talking with me, Chiara. This was, I mean, I feel like really grateful because I always feel super comfortable and like we can throw ideas at each other 
and not be experts, but have a great conversation about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, oh, cool. Well, I will see you next time I'm in New York. Okay, great. Please okay. let me know when you're here. I will. Okay. I will. Bye. 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 Hey, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening in both to our talk with, well, our discussion that we had with Chiarano and also to the conversations, the very important conversations that I had with people at the protest of the Bands Off of Our Bodies rally. So I'm here with Jacob Rhodes. Hey, Jacob. Hello. Hi, Chris. What's going on with field projects? Uh, well, actually, before we talk about field projects, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to an organization that we feel very close to, which is New York City Crit Club. They have their final day to register for classes is today, this Wednesday. Um, so please head on over to their website and check out the classes that still have available slots. One of those classes is a class that I am giving a lecture in, which is Amanda Nedham's class on Drawing 2. My class still has a few open slots. Um, so if you could, please do go check those out. We have a lot of Field Projects alum who are teaching there, including Paul Gagné, uh, who else do you know, Jacob? Clarity Haynes, Amanda Nedham. And also Rose Nestler's teaching there, I think, too. Rose Nestler. Again, a really great lineup of people who are teaching this semester. Please do check that out. So um, the other things we wanted to talk about are another deadline that's important that's coming up at Field Projects is my uh, our roundtable that we're going to be doing. Jacob, do you want to talk about the roundtable a little bit? Well, it's uh, happening tomorrow. It's going to be on the... Tomorrow is Thursday, the 19th of May. And it's going to be about our current show. Chris is going to be moderating. It's going to have Joanna Herr. And Karamar Scheffler, her collaborator, as well as Lynn Malashevsky, who is currently at the Queen's Museum talking about the World's Fair. Uh, Lynn has done quite a bit of research on and put up an exhibition on the World's Fairs that Johanna and Kara both made the exhibition about. So it's a very surreptitious uh, combination of thinkers, and we're really excited to have that conversation. And you'll probably hear a little snippet of it on the podcast next week. But if you'd like to hear the entire conversation, please do come to Field Projects tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Yeah, so we have an opening coming up next week as well. Yeah. It's going to open on Thursday night, which is the usual night in Chelsea, 6 to 8, uh, Thursday, May 26th. Great. Um, and that show is Albert Perez. Um, he is an amazing up-and-coming painter. We are going to speak with him on the podcast in two weeks. He will be featuring some new paintings, but they're all under paintings. So it's a very different kind of work for him, as well as paintings on the wall directly at the gallery. Uh, so we're really excited for that exhibition. We are sad to see Johanna's show close. Uh, it's been a pretty amazing exhibition. Yes, this is the last week. So it'll be closing Saturday, May 21st at 6 p.m. 
Come and see it while you can. For sure. Um, and before we go, I also just wanted to talk to Jacob a little bit about his participation in abortion rights activism. Uh, we want to give a couple of resources for you and things to go see and do right now. So Jacob, you were at the Museum of Sex and I wanted to ask, you know, when you were there, there was this important exhibition on abortion that happened. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, while I was working there, um, Lissa put together... And I helped Lissa put together this show on Laya Abril's. It's called On Abortion. This was a photography-based show talking a lot about some people's personal experience with abortion and also using photographs to describe different ways people had given themselves abortions when they lived in places that were not, where they did not have access what was the year that it was open? It was 2019 or something like that? 2020 is when it closed. Oh, wow. Sorry, 2019 is when it opened. Okay, but... so it opened in 2019 and closed 2020. Yeah. I remember going to the exhibition and uh, it's really, it's still shocking to me. And we've talked about this for the entire podcast now, but I feel just completely shocked by the idea of Roe going away. Um, and I remember being in this exhibition and thinking to myself, like, oh, God, it's so fucking awful that people in Poland have a miscarriage and then go to jail because someone suspects that they had an abortion or attempted to have an abortion. And that's a reality that we're now living with. Um, so that was one of the sections that really stood out to me. And I was just wondering if there was anything that stood out that you remember really strongly from this exhibition. Yeah, there was the wanted posters were really interesting because they were literal wanted posters of people who had abortions and they were from Poland. What I thought one of the interesting things was that we got all of this stuff borrowed from the Burns Archive and Collection in New York. And this was like antique medical tools used for abortions. So there was a table and there was all sorts of other tools that were laid out in a vitrine for you to look over and they had didactics next to them explaining what they would be used for mm. yeah and also just that people yes trying to come to terms with the fact that there was no access and so everybody was coming up with home remedies and of course that can lead to deaths because that's an extremely important subject you know that i did end up talking to some people about at the rally, but uh, that, you know, it's had such a long history and there has been a history of indigenous knowledge and using natural plants and things to induce abortion. And it's so much safer though today than it has been historically. And so I really encourage everyone to speak out for abortion rights. Um, you can donate to organizations, obviously. I think most people know they should and donate and or volunteer at Planned Parenthood. But Planned Parenthood is such a huge organization, so there are lots of other places that you can donate to, like the Afia Center, and that advances the needs of Black women in healthcare. You know, it covers everything from like HIV programming to maternal mortality um, and the high rate of maternal mortality among Black women. But also, obviously, the Afia Center 
centers reproductive justice and is a great thing to donate to if you're concerned about abortion rights. Also, obviously, Texas has had a huge problem with abortion, banning abortion after six weeks, even before people know that they're pregnant. Most people don't even realize they're pregnant at that time. Uh, And so there's no exemptions. This is the case in many southern states, right? We know that 26 states have trigger laws in place to automatically ban an abortion if Roe goes down. So we don't know what's happened in the last few days between now and Wednesday. So it is a scary world to be putting this out into, but I would really encourage you to donate to the TEA fund. That's the Texas Equal Access Fund. So those are two organizations that I think would really, really be great places to donate. You can also look into volunteering for them. And since we did talk about gender so much on the podcast today, uh, you should also think about donating or volunteering for gender justice. Obviously, transphobia and trans rights are at huge risk, especially with the abortion bans, but also just if Roe does go down, there are so many other laws that are going to be affected by the arguments the justices make in order to take that down. Yeah, and the argument was that the that abortion was not mentioned in the Constitution when giving rights. And neither was women were not mentioned also, just as a second. Yeah, the founders of this country, specifically the people who wrote those documents, left people out on purpose to do damage to them. They did not believe that women should be equal citizens. Uh, They did not believe that people of color should be equal citizens. And that's fucked up. And it's not the country that we all want to live in. So I don't care what the justices think about being conservative constitutionalists. Like, it's just not right. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree 100%. Yeah. Should we share our own abortion stories? When I was uh, 17 years old, my partner and I got pregnant and uh, we went to Planned Parenthood and uh, had an abortion. And it was the right thing to do at that time. And I would make that decision again. I should say we would make that decision. It was ultimately her choice, but I was there supporting whatever decision that she decided to make. And the decision that she did make was to have an abortion. And I think both of our lives would be drastically different in good and bad ways. But as a 17 year old, you're not equipped mentally to be a good parent. So I'm glad that I had an abortion with my partner. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Obviously we have talked a lot about my experiences uh, (laughs) just for like two hours before this. So we absolutely don't have to go back into that. But I do, I think that's a great note to end on, Jacob. It's important to remember that abortion affects everyone, everyone of all genders, and that this is not a women's health right. This is about human rights. It's about personhood. It's about living a good life and protecting the people who are already here as people in this country, whether they're citizens or not, everyone should have access to health care and should have the ability to make that difficult decision without the government intervening on their decision. 
It's your life. So thank you so much for listening. You'll be back again with Jacob and I next week. Jacob will be more on the podcast next week, but we did decide not to include our conversation up front as usual because we wanted to foreground the protests and everything that has been happening. And I'm I'm happy to step back out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to be like totally out of the way. I know. <laughs> like you can share your Bush and story at the end. <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, we should field pod, right? Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been one, two, three. Field, field pod! pod. <laughs> oh Trying God. to recreate that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as authentic. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Bye. Bye. should take this part out about like what are we gonna do on the underground because I don't want anyone to know that I'm like thinking about this and then they'll like you know put me in jail I'm like I would rather be put in jail because I actually did it not because I talked about it on a uh, podcast yeah um uh disclaimer disclaimer this (laughs) disclaimer these opinions don't represent our own opinions or things that we're going to do (laughs) no but I'm, I'm I will probably take out just like the very last part that we talked about